Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FPNA leaders and planning experts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to FPNA Fridays. Uh, we're back post Planful Perform. Uh, once again, as always, joined by uh, Glenn Snyder and Chris Ortega. Welcome back, gents. Well, really excited about this topic because it's one near and dear to my heart. Uh, Everyone always says, how do you measure marketing? And I always say, well, it depends. So let me throw uh, this challenge back to the Office of Finance. Uh, I think there's some obvious answers here uh, and we'll get to those. But Chris, Glenn, what I wanted to talk about today was how do we measure the Office of the CFO and specifically the FPNA finance and accounting teams. I mean, obviously there's corp dev and tax and treasury and all these other departments that we can talk about, but let's talk about uh, finance and accounting. Uh, Glenn, what are your perspectives on measuring those two functions? Well, I think you first you have to separate it into kind of the core standard functions that's a little more quantifiable. And then you get the here's the impact you're making on the business, which is much more qualitative. So on the the core stuff, that's going to be accuracy. It's going to be timeliness. It's going to be transparency and understanding of the data. When you have a, when someone has a question, a CFO has a question about the numbers, can you answer them? Those are the things that you can go over and clearly measure. But then you have the impact to the business. That's about building out better relationships, working with the partners that you have that Chris and I have talked about for months about those key business partners and helping them achieve their goals. Some of that measurement is just going to the chief operating officer or the head of sales or you know the head of legal and say, hey, as your finance team, have they been helpful to you to help you get to, you know, did you get from them what you needed? Those types of things. It is much more of a qualitative analysis, but it's how did you help the company achieve its broader strategic goals and what kind of impact did finance have in there? Sometimes it could be cost savings to help it hit you know, numerical goals like profitability sometimes or, or even growth, but sometimes it's about efficiency gains or just making better decisions because you're adding transparency to a process that didn't exist before. Yeah, I, I really like that, um, the, the impact and and the ability to then almost, you know, provide a 360 degree view. Go and ask the business partners, if yes. you're in finance, say, you know, how are we doing? You know, give me a, you know, one to five, tell me, am I a four or am I a three or am I a five? You know, like, where are we in this process? And, and you'll get really candid feedback, right. um, but you'll learn where, where functions are broken. Chris, what, how, how have you measured your teams before or how have you been measured? Yeah, I think a, a lot of what Glenn said, it's really difficult when you look at, you know, we're the people that support the business. So a lot of, uh, you know, in our tactical operations, you can get more quantitative in your assessment and your smart goals that you have for your team. But particularly on the finance FP&A side, it gets more qualitative. So to me, I think you brought up a great point, Ron, when you talk about that value proposition, right? Like, what is the value that I bring? Uh, finance is so much indirectly, uh, directly involved in other businesses, right? Like, if you, were, if you look at the partnership between sales, right? 
Like, yes, we have a, accountability to make sure contracts are good. We have accuracy on the contracts. They're, you know, fully documented, fully signed off and everything. But we support indirectly so many aspects of the business in terms of their smart goal setting. Uh, so for the FP&A side, I always look at it to say, how are we in our high performance and our partnerships that we're providing to the organization, right? Like, are we you delivering on our commitments that we set to the business? I think that's a really good KPI to look at is saying, hey, for the commitments and the, the projects and key results that we wanted to drive in the business, were we helpful in partnering and serving that group? You know, so if you look at sales and they're like, hey, we want to make sure our win rate goes from 20 to 25 percent, which is a very, you know, you can get specific. We want win rate to go up 20 to 25 percent in Q3. That's a smart goal that sales set. How can FP&A work towards it indirectly? So it's supporting the analysis. How are we looking at that weekly? Do we have the lead volume? So a lot of what we have in the business uh, as, as our value metrics are indirectly coming from other people. Um, but we also have a seat at the table to set that smart goal setting directly with those other business partners that we support. So that's usually how I measure the success of a, a high performance and partnership uh, accounting finance and finance organization. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, coming from the, the business side of the house, the, the goals for me of my FP&A team are to make sure I, I land the plane on the, on the, you know, little narrow strip that I'm given uh, whilst achieving the goals that, that are required, whether that's uh, top line growth or whether that's bottom line expense. You know, if, if my finance team can help me course correct throughout the year, um, as things change, right? Like, you know, we all know what's happened over the last, you know, 24 months. As those things have changed, I need my finance team to tell me how to course correct and, and help me make those freak, very frequent decisions in order to maintain, you know, the, the growth rate, uh, the, the ambitions and the key indicators that the company requires, whether that's, uh, you know, cash flow, whether that's um, uh, particular growth rates, whether that's, uh, OPEX versus uh, revenue, whatever that may be, I need finance to tell me all of that information uh, because if I don't have it, I'm flying blind and I'm likely going to miss my targets by a lot and that's going to look bad uh, on my finance organization. When we talked in, in, uh, in, in a little bit in the pre-show about um, you know, the three core functions of being accurate, timely, and, uh, and providing insights to the business. Talk to me about how you would measure um, accuracy. Well, I mean, it's pretty simple. The number's got to be right. Uh, you know, I've worked for public companies and I have seen what happens when the company puts out an earnings, you know, their earnings release and the numbers had errors in it. It is not a good situation. When, when you're a public company, those numbers have to be vetted eight different ways before they go out. And if there's errors in that, people start losing their jobs. It is that serious. Now, if you're a private company and you had a, an error in your you know, quarterly results that you just went up to your owners, whether you're owned by a venture capital firm or a PE firm or, or just an individual person, you could kind of dance around that a little bit. You could explain it. But when it goes out to the public, that is a whole different story. Uh, I actually had uh, somebody explained to me this way. 
when you make a mistake as a CFO, the board will say, okay, that's a mistake. We're going to watch everything you do much more closely. You make a second mistake, you're fired. That is how critical it is when, when you're at a public company. So accuracy can easily be measured by just a number of mistakes. Now, when you talk about internally, when I'm going through and I'm reading the reports and the analysis that my team is putting out, I'm looking at, you know, I'm going through and I'm vetting their data before it goes to a business partner to make sure it's accurate. Did I pick up the mistakes? Make sure we don't have any typos, spelling errors, punctuation, stuff like that. You always want to put your best foot forward. It's okay to make mistakes. We're all human. And analysis is not something that can be automated. So there is that human factor that comes into play. The big question when I start measuring people on accuracy is, do you repeat the same mistake over and over again? Because if you do, that's a problem. But if you can recognize that, oh, you know what? Oh, I know what I did wrong there. And then you fix it and you don't repeat that mistake. I don't really hold that against you. Because so there's internal value of accuracy and there's sort of external value of accuracy. Yeah, an another area that uh, we've talked about before is in the area of kind of working with your HR business partners and, and workforce planning. Um, if you can minimize that wash rate by being really in tune with your HR organization and the, and the business team, then you can maximize the output of the company. And so, you know, we all know there's going to be that vacancy rate or wash rate, we've called it. Um, if you can minimize that by staying super close and let's say in sales, for example, having quota on the street is really, really important, right? And so if you can stay super close to, to the sales leadership and the sales organization, and ensure that you've got the maximum quota capacity on the street a, a, as often as possible, then that's an area where FP&A adds a tremendous amount of value to the business um, just by being really close with the hiring managers, HR and finance, and being really close with the numbers. Hey, actually, we know something's gonna happen or something's gonna change. Let's start the hiring process six weeks earlier than normal so that we've got more ramped quota on the street. Um, so there are different areas that, um, that we can look at. When we talk about um, timeliness, right? Uh, obviously one area we can measure accounting is, is the, the speed of close. Um, Chris, talk about A, measuring the speed of close, but then measuring, and, and our last episode, we talked about the relationship between finance and accounting, and then talk about how that speed of close helps you be more timely in your FP&A role. Yeah, I mean, this is a great, great point, right? Um, and I can give you examples. So there's been organizations, uh, private, high growth entrepreneurial technology companies that I worked for. And there's been times where we close the books two weeks after the month is over, right? Um, and if you look at that from a timeliness perspective, right? I always look at it, core FP&A finance organizations answer three business questions. What do we say we're going to do? What do we do? And what are we going to do about it? Right. I mean, every every cycle. Yeah, you have your fancy tools like Planful and other things that you work with to make it sexy and fun. But really, you're answering those three questions. And really where you want to spend your time, energy and effort is what are we going to do about what we said we're going to do and what do we do? Right. And when you have a two week cold cycle, you're spending you're already closing the books to get right into like another close cycle. So that time, energy and effort that. You're spending us saying, what are we going to do about it? Uh, we did, we had, we said we we're going to do eight widgets. We did a, but we, you know, we did four widgets. 
and you're not spending any time about how does this inform the business going forward. So really, you want to accelerate that as much as possible. Get that under, you know, at best case, high performance teams. They get that day. You know, I've seen teams where they close at day one. Now, that's a stretch goal when you're like a publicly traded billion dollar multi-entity organization. And, you know, you got 30 billion in revenue, like you're, you're a large organization. That's difficult. But you want to accelerate that as much as possible because you want to spend, if you got that two-week period and in, in you call it 10 business days, you want to have three to four business days tactically closing the books. You want to have those other six business days focused on what are we going to do about it in the business? How does forecast? Like, what's our rolling plan? Like, how are we tying in our cash flow? How are we tying in our people planning processes? So you definitely want to have that as quick as possible because you want to spend your time, energy, and effort on what do we say we're going to do about it? How does this inform us in the future of where we're going? And, you know, you want to be precise in that. And I think that timeliness builds on that level of precision that you need. FP&A teams need to be precise, I would say, in a quarterly kind of mindset, right? Now, if you're a publicly traded company and don't have a lot of variability in your business, you can have more precision 6, 12, 18 months out. But you definitely want to be precise and you want to take the time, energy and effort in your closing process to balance out to say, here's how much time I'm spending 30, 40 percent of my two weeks after the month is closed to be focused on tactical operations. What do we say we're going to do and what do we do? I want six days, 60 percent, 70 percent focused on what are we going to do about it? Um, I think that is the optimum balance that you want uh, post-closing a month. Yeah, and I, I think the the measure there that you talked about for me is forecast accuracy, whether that's a, a budget forecast, a revenue forecast, a cash flow forecast, um, ensuring that forecast accuracy is there in quarter. Um, you know, if you're in a fast growing company is really important. If you're in a larger, more steady state business, as you said, you can look further out. Um, how have you measured uh, that forecast accuracy historically and, and what's important about measuring that from your perspective, Glenn? So to me, it's about how useful the data you're putting out there, right? Everybody, every FP&A group is going to be doing a budget variance report or a forecast variance report on a monthly basis. I have been there where I've sat down with business partners and the budget was so far off because of things that came up. They're like, why are we even talking about this? This is a waste of time. And so you have to go over and make sure that your accuracy and your forecast or in your budget is really about how meaningful is this as a tool. Now, many people go over and say, oh, you know what? You can't predict the future. And if I could predict the future, I'd make a lot more money in the stock market. Yes. Okay, fine. That's true. However, it's about making sure that you understand the key drivers of business and what's going on. If you're having a conversation with somebody about a budget variance and you're talking about the difference between the revenues and the revenue forecast or the expense and the expense forecast, you're having the wrong conversation. You need to talk about the underlying business drivers that drove those numbers to where they are because that's where the assumptions really are. And you know, Rowan, you talked before about those key metrics and making sure that you know whether it's a sales quota or you're talking about headcount with HR, whatever it is, understanding those drivers and those metrics is really what's going to drive those variances. So to me, it's really about making sure that you're having a meaningful conversation with the business and you're not wasting their time just to say, well, we have to have this discussion, so we're going to have it, even though the numbers don't 
really matter to anybody anymore. That's just, you know, that's just a waste of time for everybody. So instead, what you should be doing is talking about what's the underlying driver, what was the original assumption that went into the forecast of the budget, why is it different now, and what had changed to make sure that then the next time you go to a forecast, you become that much more accurate. And, and then starting to measure that. Was it a mistake, right? Because if it was a mistake, then you know you want to capture that, you want to track that, and and per your conversation earlier, you know we don't want to make that same mistake again. So we need to start capturing that 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 insight. Was it just information that we were missing because the market dynamic changed or something else changed? Well, how often does that happen? Um, because if you're not capturing those insights anywhere and you're just keeping it as tribal knowledge, then it's really hard to disseminate that quarter over quarter, year over year, and, and really see how frequently your business changes. And, and you know, business is changing faster than ever right now. And, uh, and things like that really hurt uh, organizations when, when they make those sort of, and they're maybe not mistakes, but they're not fast enough to see those things happening and, and be able to course correct against them. Right, Rowan, just if I could add one thing to that. So you're absolutely right. And the thing is, is that an FP&A group should be improving the forecast and budget process every single time they're doing a forecast or a budget. If you are not making an improvement, you are not going to be putting together a good forecast or budget. You have to always look at where did we miss before? Why did we miss it? How do we fix that? And you're never going to be right. I've been doing this a long time. I have never hit to the dollar a forecast, but I've got I've improved it to the point where I'm typically within one to two percent, which is a reasonable variance. So you know that's the whole thing. But you just you got to keep on improving because if you're sitting there and you're off by 10, 15 percent in your forecast, you're not really putting a meaningful number out there. Yeah, it's, it's all about acceptable materiality, right? Uh, depending on the, the organization you're at, you know, 0.5% might be a problem. Uh, but if you're at a super fast growing organization uh, or uh, an organization that has wild swings in their business, then, you know, one quarter, 10% may be okay, depending on the business. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't want to be in the 10% organization. Uh, that would cause me a little heartache, even on the business side. But, um, you know, it, it may be acceptable for some organizations. So, the, you know, we, we talk a lot about this on, on, on FP&A Fridays, which is it always does depend on the stage, the maturity, and the type of business that you're in as to how you set these measures. There's never going to be a one-size-fits-all model. The most important part is that you are doing the measurement itself and, and working with your teams to provide that impact. Chris, um, let's talk a little bit about the relationship side, right? The more uh, qualitative. How do you go out and seek feedback from your, your business partners as to how you and your team are doing? And, and how do you then use that to, to turn things around or improve upon your processes? Yeah, so I think the same. I, I always take this approach from like a sales mindset. Um, it, it's the same thing that you do in a sales process, right? You look over your quarter, you look at how do we win? You look at, you know, what, where we lost at. you kind of do a deep, a deep dive, at least in, in, in SaaS businesses and, and high growth business I work with. That's one place we always just 
all get together and we say, what went right, what went wrong, what we could have done better. You know, marketing is the same way. You kind of go through that. So I look at that same way in the finance lens of just going to your business partners and saying, hey, what what really went well, like on a quarterly basis. So as we do in, in our with our customers, where we hold quarterly QBRs with them to see, you know, how they're tracking our tool and technology, the value that they're getting, the pain points that they're having, the resources they may need, the the, the knowledge that they may know with the product, you can take that same framework to your business partners that you have. So one thing I do with my teams is we do quarterly QBRs and we don't do it with like every single business partner, but we find the ones that, you know, hey, like things are going well in sales. Like let's find a really good area that things went really well and deep dive in there, how we can get better, how we can improve or what made it go successful. Let's identify another business partner that may be on the client success side that, you know, we didn't hit our projects completed target that we set out or we didn't get the NPS score that we were looking to get. How can we go work with them? So it's really being strategic and saying, hey, you know, unless you have like a super, you know, 20 people FP&A team, you probably can't go to each business partner. But taking those like almost individual like uh, QBRs after the, the results have been driven to say, how could we get better? What are some things we did well? What are some knowledge gaps that we have inside the partnership? What are we seeing in the overall market? And doing those individual QBRs and then communicating and cascading that to the overall team. That way everybody understands is like, okay, like we, we hit 135% of our uh, sales target this quarter. How did we do that? Where did we win at? Like, was it solutions consultant that was knocking it out the park? Was it demand generation pipeline that was super successful? Was it just, you know, the overall market? Did we look historically and see that seasonality for us in Q3 is where the primary uh, buying cycles are? So it's like taking that same approach that we do in the business and doing that with the finance partners that we support, right? Because typically a lot of business partners, the only time they get around talking to have these kind of quarterly uh, QBRs and business review and partner reviews is during the budget cycle. They don't they don't hear from finance and then it's the budget and they're like, oh, finance is knocking on my door. And I think that also goes to strengthening the partnership and the trust that you have in the organization. So for me, um, coming outside of Q3, I'm already thinking through of like, all right, once we solidify on our numbers, who are going to be the business partners that we want to kind of go through and do that, that QBR, that deep dive in terms of how we work together, what went well, where can we improve, where's the knowledge gaps on both sides, and how we can be better effective business partners. That's usually the approach that I take uh, around the business partnership side. You're muted, Ryan. As usual, uh, we can never escape that. Um, one thing that I would um, just playing off that, like if I was a CFO and I wanted to measure my finance team, one thing I'd try and measure is friction, right? Like I'd send it out to, to the department heads and say, on a scale of one to five, you know, how much friction is there in our, in our processes together? And I'd want to slowly eliminate that because that's where it um, starts to create all that misalignment is if things are frictional with finance, you're probably in that scorekeeper mentality that we've talked about uh, a lot of times before, but also that speed of insight is probably also creating some friction. I'm not getting what I want. 
uh, or whenever I see a model uh, from my FP&A team, it doesn't quite match the way that I run my business. And so that creates more friction. Therefore, we have to go through two or three more passes of that specific model. And, and that takes time. And I don't like taking time because it's not, you know, we're, we're trying to move things fast. So ha have you ever, Glenn, have you ever thought about that aspect of measuring the team or, um, you know, have you thought of other ways of doing that? Yeah, you know, it actually, it, it comes down to a word that we use quite a bit here, which is trust. Because mm -hmm. I would look at it as friction is not a bad thing. Because I've been in situations where I've had to have difficult conversations with my business partners. Hey, I know mm -hmm. you want to go over and expand and add those 15 people to your group. We don't have the funds to do it. So now let's go back and revisit what we can do and how we can help you get to where you need to be without spending that kind of money. And you have to put up resistance. And, you know, I always look at it as FP&A, you have to have one foot grounded in, here's what the CFO is saying, the financial results need to be, here you got to drive those numbers home. And you have to have the other foot in the business side saying, here are the strategic goals and what they're trying to achieve. And you have to stand in both, set, in both places. And so sometimes that friction is a good thing. But what is mm -hmm. most important is having that trust. And that to me, when, because if you have a business, if you are a business leader, so Rowan, you're the chief marketing officer. If you're, you have a great relationship with your finance partner, they might put up resistance and put some friction out there and challenge you on things. And that's a good thing. And you're going to say, hey, you're thinking, you're telling me about things I'm not thinking about. We're going to land in a better place. It's a whole different thing than saying, you know what, you're just doing stuff that I don't even care about. You're not listening to me. And that is, that's not where you want to be. So really what it comes down to is that relationship of trust and getting to that thought partner stage where you say as that business leader, I want my finance person with me when I'm making decisions because I value their insight. That's what, that's the ultimate place we want to get to. So that's really how you measure people. If you have people where they say, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't, finance seems to not have any idea what the hell is going on. And so I don't care. That, that is a very clear way of measuring that relationship too. And you know that that's one that has to improve. Yeah, I guess uh, the, the, the insight, like having a, a, a difficult discussion, right? About a, a specific number or, hey, I, I really want to do this. You know, I, I trust the marketing department over the sales organization. So I want more money, um, blah, blah, blah. Like that's having tough, challenging conversations and, and making business decisions. The friction of getting to there is something that I would want to eliminate, like right. actually getting the insight and, and coming to that agreement. Um, that's where I was coming from the friction part. Like having difficult conversations is just part of being a, a you know, a, a leader at any business. Because, you know, we all, everyone um, is committed and consistent to their beliefs in, all right, I believe that I need this money for this particular person, you know, like everyone in the organization. Hey, who needs more help? Everyone will put up their hand, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I don't think I've met a business leader that if you said, hey, there's open headcount, uh, they all wouldn't fight for that headcount sitting in the middle of the table, right? Um, so you're always going to have that that type of friction. The friction I was kind of alluding to there was the friction of how do we come to that insight of, all right, 
you know, Rowan, this is this is where you actually stand in terms of pipeline performance, or this is where you stand in terms of, you know, you're over investing in brand to the uh, actual brand awareness that you have right now. Like your brand awareness is good. Stop investing in it. Um, those are the insights that I want and, and the difficult discussions, but the friction to get to those insights is something that I really would want to eliminate if I was the officer. And, and Rowan, but it, it does come back to building up that trusting relationship. Yeah. Think of the people in your life who you trust. You don't have as much friction because you're like, hey, I already know that you're going to give me a good answer. You're going to give me a thoughtful answer to my question. So it's really about building that trust with that partner. And sometimes it takes time. Some people are much more open to it. There are business partners that I've worked with who they're just saying, I don't want anything from finance, leave me alone. And that is a much more difficult relationship to build out the trust. And you yeah. just that natural friction, but that's really what, to me, it all comes down to that trust aspect. hundred percent. You know, if you don't have trust with your finance team, it's a, it's a, it's a real problem. And, and that stems from, you know, accounting through to accounts payable, accounts receivable, all the way through to FP&A. Because if, if you're not confident that, you know, you sign a, a contract with someone and, you know, you're on the front lines working with that business partner and you don't trust that the bill's going to get paid on time, that that's never fun, right? Like that's never fun for the business person. And sure, you know, the, the CFO and the chief accounting officer, they have a job to do to protect the, the cash flow of the company. And, and you should understand that. But, um, you know, it's a really challenging environment sometimes because as the CFO, you've got this kind of duality that you have to hold, which is I really want to do these things, but uh, the reality is I can't do that either. So uh, I really empathize a lot with, with uh, those people that have to make those really difficult decisions on the behalf of the business. And, and I, I'd probably never want to be a controller for that reason. Yeah. I think, I think another point just to add to that, what you guys were talking about is just balance, right? I think to me, balance is really important. And how I think about balance is the business wants to paint a picture, right? But finance and FP&A should be the one saying, here's the canvas, here's the tools, here's the colors of paint we're going to use. Let me work with you in building this picture of what the business sales business, marketing business, client success business looks like. But it is also providing to say, here's the rails, the, the canvas size, the colors that we can use, the paint brushes that we have at our disposal, which is more of that, you know, stewards of the business, that CFO route, but then also working with the business to say, what is the picture that we want to paint? So I think not only having the trust, but when I've seen it be super successful in that friction that you're talking about, Rowan, is balancing that outlook with here's the, what we have to work with to work with and building this picture together. That's how I would would kind of, from an example perspective, kind of summarize like that trust and that balance perspective. I think um, this the steel thread that runs through all of this, the, the trust, uh, the transparency, the, um, the accountability is communication. Um, without really strong communication between the business and finance and even finance and accounting, uh, all of this breaks down. And so that transparent, frequent communication uh, actually builds up all of this trust. Um, and then it makes having difficult or frictional conversations really easy because everyone now starts to understand where finance is coming from, where the business is coming from. 
and 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 frankly, communication shouldn't just come from finance to the business. Uh, we as business leaders have to communicate back. And and if you're in finance and they're not communicating back, you have to wonder, well, you know, why is that? Maybe they don't trust me. So you got to do that self-evaluation too as well, because you, you definitely want those open lines of communication. For sure. So I think we've, we've really covered some, a lot of the key topics here in terms of the qualitative measurement, the quantitative measurement of finance and, and a few key takeaways for me were, you know, uh, really trying to understand and, and, you know, look at forecast accuracy, number one, if you're in finance, uh, if you're in accounting, the, the speed of close, making sure that you can improve that and really uh, use that as a way of improving the business. Uh, finally, like an interesting one, which I, I'm not sure I've participated in many of these, but the 360 degree reviews of finance, right? I think uh, if you're a finance leader, I would take that up on a quarterly basis and, and start asking uh, the other business partners in, in my organization, hey, how are we doing? And, and try and find, you know, three to four key measures that are really important to you, whether that be, you know, uh, to, to Glenn's point, accuracy, like, you know, do we get the model right on the first time, right? Very frequently you do that. That's like me asking a designer to get the design perfect every time. Um, but is, you know, if it takes 16 rounds of iteration on a model, that's probably not a good place to be in. So, you know, you got to find where are we at on these scales and then just try and consistently improve it. And, and then finally, to, to one of Glenn's points, you know, always be improving um, the budget and forecast process. So with that, I'd, I'd love to thank you both for, for today's session and uh, look forward to hosting you again next Friday with, uh, with plenty more from FPNA Fridays. Thanks, Jen. Thanks. Thanks. You're the man, Glenn.